What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast. I'm John Hodge, joined by J.C. Abbott. Today, we're discussing Bo Levi Mitchell's poor preseason showing. The Stamps sending pressure against BC's backup quarterback. The Ticats adding two starting Canadians to the six-game injured list. The CFL appointing a new chair to its board of governors. And Micah Tights potentially missing some serious time with the Riders. But first... The CFL and CFLPA ratified a new collective of bargaining agreement last week. Players were given a $1.225 million ratification bonus, and the deal is seven years in length, though the players have an opt-out after five years to coincide with the expiration of TSN's exclusive broadcasting deal. We're all tired of CBA talk. I get it. But we'd be remiss if we didn't at least discuss briefly the details of the new deal I'm curious, JC, what are your thoughts on the new deal ratified between the two sides? I think basically the same thing I thought about the previous tentative agreement that got voted down. I think it's a good deal for the players overall. I'm a little bit disappointed in the player voting base, as I said last week, for clearly you know, desiring a, a small paycheck now in that ratification bonus and, and taking some money off future years of the deal, which will potentially impact guys down the line uh, after this set of players has retired. But if you look overall at the bulk of the deal, all the things that the players got, you know, the, the raises in the salary cap, the raises in the minimum salary, which I think is huge to me, that's a major issue is raising that floor rather than raising the ceiling in the CFL. That'll eventually in 2027, get up to $75,000. I think that's tremendous for all the players. And you look at, at the uh, advent of, of revenue sharing and things like that, having a seat on CFL ventures, all of these are very good moves for the players with, with very little, a given up uh, on their part, you know, adding some padded practices to me is not a big deal. Uh, the ratio uh, 
discussion, I think, has been overblown in the fan base. I don't think that rule is going to be particularly impactful. So this is just a fantastic deal for the players in my mind. Yeah, and, and the ratio thing, the, the one concern that I have is in the event, and I've heard conflicting things on this, if it is 49% of plays per game, I agree with you. I don't think the ratio is going to be a big deal. If it's 45 or 49% of plays over the course of a season, I do think that's going to impact things widely because there's going to be lots of teams who are happy to get rid of their Canadian stats early and say, okay, we went all Canadian for the first you know, nine games. Now we can go American at those veteran spots like we want to. Um, but all in all, I am optimistic. I agree with you. The salary floor going to 70,000, the minimum salary going to 70,000 by 2023 is big. The cap's only going up by 100K for the 2023 season. So most of that new money is going to go to the rookie players or the younger players who make the league minimum. But by and large, I'm happy. First of all, I'm ecstatic this is done. So I guess you get to watch football and report on football. Football, which at the end of the day is why I do what I do. I'm not here to report on labor negotiations, uh, but I agree with you, JC. I think it's a good deal. Um, and, and the other thing I'll say, I said this last week, the other really encouraging thing is for the first time, I think ever, the CFL and its leadership is opening up the books. They're not doing it yet. It doesn't start until 2024. But first of all, there, there's no way that the, the owners agree to this if the CFL isn't at least in a good place moving forward. And I think they don't do, agree to do that if they think there's any chance that the business won't be successful moving forward. They've got Genius Sports on board. They've got the legal uh, single-game sports betting that I think is going to bring in a bunch of money as long as they they capitalize on it correctly. So so to me, this is all very positive. Um, I, I wish that these are some of the changes the CFL had made three, four, five years ago, but you can't go back and change the past. All you can do is, is try to build the proper foundation for future success. And I think the CFL and its players have finally done that with this new collective bargaining agreement. I couldn't agree more with you there, Hodge. Now, on the ratio point, I think it is going to be 49% per game. Jamie Nye uh, of the Green Zone in Regina had a, a nice report on that uh, last week, breaking down some of the details. It'll be um, you know, accounted for post-game throughout the regular season, and then for the playoffs, they're going to do an average of how many uh, defensive and offensive snaps have been in a game all season, and that's the mark you have to hit. Apparently, I'm I'm not sure exactly how all that will work, but if it's a per game basis, I'm not overly concerned. But to your other point, the fact that they're opening up the books and there is so much potential for for growth here financially for the players, I love that. And we saw a lot of the discussion in the fan base when players were asking for more who were, were pressing this issue. There was a segment of people who were like, no, the CFL is flat broke. Look at all the money they lost in COVID. That is true. They lost some money, right? Everyone in the world did. There was not a business that wasn't affected. But I think the CFL is in remarkably good shape for what it's just gone through. And it has potential for financial growth with some of these new initiatives. And it didn't seem like money, whether upfront or in the long term, was one of the main hangups for the league in this deal. No one was trying to play poor here, right? They gave a lot of the financial aspects to the players and fought back on some of the other things like the ratio. So 
I don't think this is a situation where the league is empty pocketed being bled dry by the players. They have the money. Now the players are starting to get their fair share. And the, the one thing I'll say is, is CGOB did an interview in Winnipeg with Wade Miller, who talked about how, you know, his reason for the ratio change, or at least the league's reason for the ratio change was saying, well, we have to make sure our best players are on the field. My only response to that is, okay, why do we then have global kickers missing 32 yard field goals as part of this ratio? But I will not open that can of worms. Let's move on. The people have had enough CBA talk for the next five years. Certainly. Well, on to the preseason where Bo Levi Mitchell, the Calgary Stampeders quarterback, completed just three of 10 pass attempts this past weekend for 37 yards and two interceptions against a BC Lions defense that was entirely made up of backups and scrubs. Should those numbers be concerning for Stamps fans? Absolutely. Uh, how, how can they not be? Right. And, and I want to preface this by saying this game was not televised and I was not in Calgary to watch it. The only snaps I've seen are the ones that were available on highlights. The only one I really saw from Bo was the end zone interception he threw targeting Colton Hunchak. So I don't want to pretend that I've broken down the game film, uh, but I have talked to some people who have watched the film. And yeah, this should be a concern for Sam's fans. Bo Levi Mitchell, I think, deserved the benefit of the doubt throughout the 2021 season. He had the fracture in his leg. He had the shoulder problems, right? And and, and obviously coming off of a canceled 2020 season, you know, ma- made some things tougher getting back into that, that groove again. But he's had the full season. He wasn't great last year. He led the CFL in picks. The Stamps went 500, despite the fact that they had a good defense and a good ground game. So I don't see how this can't be concerning, especially because, and I'll rattle off some other stat lines, Jake Mayer, 7 of 13 for 90 yards. On the flip side, Canadian Michael O'Connor with the visiting Lions completed 74% of his passes for 151 yards at a touchdown. Even Kevin Thompson, we're going to talk about in a moment, had a better stat line. 9 of 20, 129 yards and a pick. So it's a small sample size. And I'm not taking anything away that Bo has done in years past, right? He's going to be in the Hall of Fame. He's probably a first ballot Hall of Famer. I would vote for him if I could today. But there's no getting around the fact that he did not play well against BC's backups. And if I'm a Stamps fan, that is absolutely a source of concern for me. The biggest concern for me with Bo Levi Mitchell is that shoulder injury that's been nagging him since 2019. Now, he says he's fully healthy, says he feels better than ever, and that may be true, but I think he's lost some of the zip on his balls, right? When when Bo Levi Mitchell came into the league, you could see the difference in arm talent. He was just built differently than other quarterbacks. You know, there's a lot of guys who come up here because they maybe have lesser arm strength at the NFL level, but they're super accurate or super intelligent. I think Bo Levi Mitchell had plus arm strength and those at other attributes. He threw the ball differently. I don't think that's the case anymore. He's lost some velocity. And so you look at that throw to the end zone to Colton Hunchak that got uh, intercepted by Quincy Mogger for the BC Lions. That's a throw maybe he makes a couple years back because he can put a little bit of extra on that. And he's still trying to force those throws, but they're, ret- they're resulting in turnovers now because he can't quite do it like he's used to. And he hasn't adjusted yet to his new physical limitations. 
Yeah, and I think the other thing that we need to talk about is is again, he was outplayed by Jake Mayer. And obviously, you go back to 2021, Jake Mayer was was a rookie, right? No one had ever heard of him. You know, he wasn't even second on the depth chart to start the season. Michael O'Connor was second on the depth chart after Bo got hurt. They did, in fact, start Mayer. He dressed for his first game, started his first game, and rattled off three 300-yard passing performances in a row. Last season, I don't think there's any conversation about starting Mayer over Bo because, again, you're talking about a rookie and a future Hall of Famer. However, following a winter during which I'm sure Mayer was hard at work, I think there is a legitimate conversation, not about week one, but let's say Bo Levi Mitchell has a poor performance of week one. Do you not have a conversation if you're the Calgary Stampeders about who starts week two? And if Bo plays poorly in week two, do you have that conversation in week three? I'm just asking the question. And again, I'm not saying that Bo is, is no longer a good player. All I'm saying is he didn't have a good season last year. He had his first test in 2022, and it's an F. He failed. Now, he might have an excellent performance in week two of the preseason, but that said, a lot of times veteran quarterbacks do not play in both preseason games. It's possible we won't see him play until the regular season, in which case I'm very interested to see what he does week one against the Montreal Alouettes. Yeah, for me, it's that first six weeks of the season. I think it's that sweet spot where you give Bo Levi Mitchell the benefit of the doubt. You you hope he shows that he can be the guy he used to be. After about week six, I don't know. To me, I think Jake Meyer, it, Mayer is the future in Calgary, and I think that future is probably coming sooner than most people anticipate. In that same game, the BC Lions took issue with the Stampeder sending pressure late which resulted in quarterback Kevin Thompson being injured and taken to the hospital. He's going to be out for a while. Michael O'Connor said the blitz didn't sit right with him, while head coach Rick Campbell said it seemed unsafe, given that Calgary had had significantly more practice time ahead of the game. Do you think BC has a right to be upset? I really don't. I think this is sort of overblown here. The The hit was clean. The bit, blitz should have been picked up by the protection. Um, I don't have any issue with what Calgary did. Now, do I think it gave them a whole bunch of benefit to do that late in the game when they're already up? No, I don't think it does. No one's making the team because they can blitz free off the edge. That's not an advantage in your evaluation. So I can understand that perspective of it. But the hit was clean. They don't have a right to complain about that part. Where I do think there's a grain of truth here is the safety aspect because Calgary did have those additional practices and BC chose, they chose to come in with what, what was essentially a junior varsity squad to this game that was less practiced than Calgary and less talented overall. And as a result, it put their quarterback in a bad situation there near the goal line when that blitz should have been picked up, but a bunch of offensive linemen who are, and, you know, at best struggling to make the practice roster, couldn't identify it. And it was a, you know, a five on five that they let a guy fully free. So to me, uh, they don't have a right to complain about the hit itself. There's some safety concerns overall, but BC also brought it on themselves by their decision to bring the personnel that they did to that game because of their perception already about the preseason and wanting to maximize practices for the other guys. 
Yeah, to me, I, I think that's a valid concern for Rick Campbell. But again, it's not something that is the Stampeders' fault or I think could be blamed on the Lions, right? It's nobody's fault individually that some teams were allowed to practice and some teams weren't outside maybe of the league itself, right? Had the league stepped in and said, listen, you know, we're cool with, you know, the Stampeders and the Elks reporting to work because legally they have to, but maybe keep it to film study, right? They, they didn't have to necessarily allow those teams to have full-on practices while everyone else was sitting at home watching Stranger Things on Netflix. Um, I do think that that was inappropriate, and I do think that that is something that the league should have done differently in hindsight. That said, and there's a lot of people, by the way, upset about it behind the scenes, but you can't change the past. I don't blame the Stampeders for practicing because they had their players there. Nobody told them not to. Uh, and to me, the other question is, was the hit clean? The answer is yes. Obviously, it's very unfortunate that Kevin Thompson was hurt. It's unfortunate he was taken to hospital. It's unfortunate he's going to miss time. But by that same token, football is a violent sport. And provided that the hits are clean, you know, I, I have a hard time blaming anybody for causing an injury because I don't think these guys go out there actively trying to hurt players. And if they do, it's certainly not by delivering clean hits when they could otherwise take out players above the shoulders or or at the knees. So to me, I don't take issue with what Calgary did, but I can also appreciate why BC is upset. The other aspect of this is that if BC didn't want that blitz to take place, I think there's a way that they can prevent it because we've seen in the past teams have gentlemen's agreements before preseason games where right. they say, you know, we're not going to have any blitzes here or with the second unit, we're not going to have you know certain types of blitzes. They could have struck one of those agreements. They didn't. So this was fair play. Unfortunately for BC, it's going to deny them a very good player in Kevin Thompson, who was impressing throughout training camp, I think had leapfrogged Michael O'Connor, at least in practice, for who was going to be the number two quarterback. And a guy who I think could have a very promising CFL career, given his pedigree. Uh, I mean, he's a big sky offensive player of the year. You look at the players who have won that award. You're talking about Bo Levi Mitchell, Jake Meyer, uh, Vernon Adams Jr., Matt Nichols, those types of players, all outstanding CFL quarterbacks. He has that skill set. He has that pedigree, and he was impressing. He was a guy who was going to be on this roster, I think, and it's unfortunate that the BC Lions are going to be without him. It's now time for Hodges' Heritage Moment. On this day in 2011, Adam Big Hill signed with the BC Lions. The linebacker was a star at Central Washington, though he went unsigned by the NFL due to his lack of size. Big Hill won the Grey Cup and was the league's most outstanding defensive player during his six-year tenure with the Lions before spending a season with the New Orleans Saints in 2017. He returned to the CFL the following year as a member of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and has since won two more outsta most outstanding defensive player awards as well as two Grey Cups. JC, we talked about Bo Levi Mitchell being a first ballot Hall of Famer earlier. I think it goes without saying that Adam Big Hill will be the same. Absolutely. I got to watch up close and personal that iconic Team 100 era when you had Adam Big Hill and Solomon Elamimian playing in the same linebacking core for the BC Lions. I think that's one of the all-time great groups at the linebacking position. 
But the thing I'll remember most about Adam Big Hill's time out here on the West Coast is actually how it got started because we're in training camp right now. We hear all these snippets about, oh, this guy's impressing. This guy could make a roster. Adam Big Hill, to me, was one of those guys who once he showed up in training camp in BC, all you heard on the radio, all you heard from the beat guys was, oh, this Adam Big Hill guy, he might not start right away, but he's going to be special. He's impressing every single practice. You knew instantly when he arrived out here that he was going to be a star in the CFL and it panned out for him. Now, here we are 11 years later, still talking about a guy who's, I mean, just unbelievable still doing what he's doing. And uh, absolutely a player I've enjoyed watching tremendously over the last decade. Oh, it's time for the three minute drill. Here we go. Craig Dickinson said Charleston Hughes came back to the Riders with a chip on his shoulder. Do you think that'll help him in the pass rush? I think it'll help him a little bit early in the season, especially will it help him, uh, you know, fend off the wear and tear of age in game 16? Not so sure about that. The CFL launched a new marketing campaign this week featuring the slogan, let them know, only to learn that the hashtag was already in use by the Cleveland Cavaliers of the NBA. Can you believe that, Hodge? I want to know what was the second choice. Was it, I'm loving it? Was it eat fresh? Come on, guys. You got to check for what's already taken. The Lions have signed Antonio Pipkin after he was cut by the Argos, who is going to have a better season. Pipkin in BC or Chad Kelly, the man the Argos picked over him in Toronto? I think something incredibly devastating has to happen to Canadians' hopes and dreams in in Nathan Rourke for Antonio Pipkin to get on the field and see considerable playing time. I do think that Chad Kelly can push McLeod Bethel-Thompson at some point for the starting job this season, so I'm going to say Kelly on this one. The Red Blacks released former third-round pick Andrew Pickett, uh, an offensive lineman from the University of Guelph. Could he help another team? I think he potentially could. He missed basically the first two years of his career due to injury. Played a little bit last year at center and guard. There's not a lot of Canadian offensive linemen on the market. I think he'll get picked up. GM Jeremy O'Day said the Riders have had discussions with former pass rusher Jonathan Woodard, though there's a chance he'll return to the Kansas City Chiefs. Your thoughts? I understand Woodard holding out hope for another NFL shot here, but... He's 28 years old. He's already a proven commodity. NFL teams know what he is down south from his time there before the CFL. To me, it may be time for him to come back north where I think he can have an outstanding end to his career as one of the best pass rushing threats in the CFL. Winston Rose was seen wearing a walking boot at practice in Winnipeg this week. How long could the former all-star corner be out, Hodge? Well, I i mean, Mike O'Shea will not talk about injuries really in any, any type of detail, but I was able to speak to a source who indicated that the injury is not expected to be season-ending. How long will he be out? Your guess is as good as mine. Former first-round pick Connor McGough announces retirement at age 26 due to health concerns. What are your thoughts on McGough's CFL career? Ended far too soon. This was a very promising defensive line prospect, a high effort guy that you just loved coming out of the draft process because of his motor. I'm sad to see him have to retire so early. 
the Ticats added projected Canadian starters Lamar Durant and Coulter Woodmansey to the six-game injured list this week. Are they in trouble? I think trouble would be overstating it because the Ticats have some good depth, but you never want to lose two really good Canadians in camp. That's rough. Riders linebacker Micah Tights could miss significant time due to injury. I guess it's a good thing Saskatchewan has Larry Dean on the roster, isn't it? It is a good thing, but I do have questions because that Will linebacker spot is going to change this year with the hash marks. It's Larry Dean, who's played a lot in the middle, athletic enough to handle the coverage responsibility that's going to come with that role in the newly spaced out short side of the field. The Alouettes have signed receiver Chandler Worthy after he was cut by Toronto. Do you think he'll have a strong impact there? Well, I think the Argos have a ton of depth. That's why their castoffs are already getting picked up. Yes, I think Chandler Worthy could make an impact as a returner in Montreal. And yes, I think he can make an impact as a receiver. He's a good player. Former U Sports defensive lineman Akeem Hicks signed a one-year deal with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers worth up to $10 million. That's uh, That's pretty good money, eh? That's excellent money. I tell you what, Hodge, when my contract's up with Three Down Nation, that's what I'm asking for next time around. <laughs> I am also a tremendous U Sports product from the Canada West. Well, JC, we'll miss you, buddy. <laughs> the Ticats have signed former third-round pick Mohamed Diallo, a defensive lineman from the University of Arizona. Is that a big deal, Hodge? It is. Diallo is a little bit of an interesting character. Uh, bounced around a ton in the college uh, ranks. That said, when he's dialed in, he is a monster in the middle, a potential heir apparent to Ted Laron. I'm very interested to see what he does in Steeltown. Last one, the CFL has appointed Scott Banda as the chair of its board of governors. Is that a good move? Well, it's pretty clear that Banda has some business chops. The former CEO of Federated Cooperatives uh, Limited, which is Saskatchewan's largest business. It pulls in like $10 billion in revenue a year. But I do have some concerns here because we just finished a heated CBA negotiation with our players. And you bring in Banda, who was in the news a lot the last few years for union busting at their refinery in Regina, locking out uh, the employees there in order to roll back pensions and savings plans and cozy up to some pretty unsavory groups in order to get their support in that union negotiation. So I don't love that aspect of this hiring. Interesting stuff. We'll see. Labor negotiations are not the hottest topic, at least to me in the CFL, but they certainly do matter. On that note, we thank you as always for listening to the Three Down Nation podcast. We will be back next Wednesday with another episode previewing the regular season. We'll see you. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.